The Sign Out Podcast has partnered with Outdoor by Four to bring you this conversation. Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. Here we interview individuals who are pursuing their passion and who want to share that story. I learned how to ride a motorcycle on a bus in Peru. I'm fortunate enough that my grandparents lived in a house that you walk out the backyard and it was just red rocks, just wilderness. Relationships are everything. Get out there and do it because your soul will thank you for it. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Sign Out Podcast. Um, Coming to you today from Houston, partnered up with Outdoor by Four, a great magazine. Check them out. Uh, Been a great partner on the podcast. Always enjoy getting back on the mic and talking to friends. Um, Today we have Michael Balecki. And, you know, when I start these podcasts and people ask me, well, where do I get my visitors or my guests from? And it's always interesting because you just never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to run to at different times of life. And there was, gosh, probably back in 17 or 18, I don't remember exactly, Michael, the date, but I was putting together a motorcycle ride in out of Denver with another friend. And we rented some bikes from a place called Motors, uh, Colorado Motorcycle Adventure. And Michael happened to be working there at the time, and we just struck up a relationship because he planned a trip for me that turned out to be an incredible ADV trip, 500 miles over a few days, all backcountry roads in Colorado. I did another trip again the next year, and so we just uh, stayed in contact. But uh, Michael's moved on. He's an entrepreneur these days. Uh, He's a marketing manager supporting a couple of brands out there. He's definitely into photography as well because I've watched some of... uh, his films that he's put together and some of the work he's done. So just, uh, Michael, welcome to the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I'm glad to be here. It's good to see your face again for the first time in almost, I don't know, many years. I know. It's it's definitely felt like a long time, but uh, I'll never forget just how helpful you were getting me out on that Africa Twin for the first time, which is an incredible ride. Um, but it, I've, you know, I've just kept in contact just randomly through text here and there and keeping up with your story. I thought it was interesting. So I know you from being the motorcycle guy. Um, I've watched uh, your, one of your films, which we can talk about later about motorcycles, but I know you've got more to you, but one, I just kind of want to dig in. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona. So born and raised. If you haven't been, it's uh, everyone thinks Arizona is just hot and sandy desert, but Flagstaff's at, 7,000 feet. It's a fairly small mountain town, uh, you know, huge area for outdoor recreation. And, uh, you know, it's in the pine trees, gets lots of snow. So I spent the first 26, 28 years of my life there. And, and uh, yeah, so that's home. I was, I skied in Flagstaff when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. The snow, Arizona snowball. Yeah, it was uh, me and my best friend and his dad used to teach at Northern Arizona a really long time ago. So they had friends there. We just went there for spring break one time. I had a great time skiing that mountain. So, And then I drove through there recently. Oh, it was a couple of years ago. I was at the Grand Canyon, headed back to Phoenix and drove through Flagstaff and always thought it's a cool town. And it is kind of a gem out there in Arizona. It is, you know, uh, Arizona is, Arizona is my home. It always will be no matter where I am in the world. And it's uh, neat how that state has evolved for me over the years, you know, from growing up there and spending most of my time in Flagstaff and then later opening up uh, the Arizona branch of Arizona Motorcycle Adventures in Phoenix was what really exposed me to a little bit more of the Arizona desert. And it's such a diverse landscape diverse client uh climate down there and just has so much to offer if you're into any kind of outdoor recreation so it's a it's a wonderful state yeah i've i've checked out sedona a couple of times done some hiking there the grand canyon was obviously amazing just seeing that but it is cool driving through that mountain area of flagstaff and getting to see that so when i met you you were already into motorcycles but you've got to have a story there what got you into the two wheels and has kept you on them all this time well, you know, it's funny. I Most of the people in the adventure motorcycle industry have been riding motorcycles since they were kids. You know, they have that 
story being three years old and putting around on a little, you know, 80. Um, I didn't have that. I, I never rode motorcycles as a kid, partially because my parents would never let me. So what did I do when I grew up and moved out of the house? I got a, I got into motorcycles. And uh, the funny story about it is that I tell people is I learned how to ride a motorcycle on a bus in Peru, which how I can explain that is uh, took a took a photography trip to Peru uh, when I was about this is about 15 years ago, and one of my good buddies from Flagstaff was a motorcycle rider and he was trying to get me into it. And he, as we're sitting on the bus and you know driving around Peru, he explained the controls to me. Okay, here's your front brake, here's your clutch. This is how you do it. And so I would think about it and uh, kind of try to process those things and. I'm a, I'm a drummer. I've been playing drums a lot of my life. And so the coordination kind of came second nature to me. And I ended up finding a bike that I wanted. And the first bike I bought was a Yamaha TW200, one of those fat, fat tire, rear, rear fat tire bikes. I love those bikes. I've never ridden one, but I look at them all the time. You know, they're, they're gutless. There's nothing that exciting about them, but they're just cool. And I found one, um, bought it and I had never ridden a motorcycle in my life. And I got on that thing and it was like, I'd been riding forever. You know, it was, it was like, it was a part of me forever that just was finally unlocked. And I rode that thing around, did a couple of trails, cruised around town for only had it for six or eight months. And I knew that I wanted to go further. On a, on a motorcycle. I, I grew up doing a little bit of backpacking and camping and, you know, getting into nature. And I needed something that could take me further on two wheels to do those same kind of things. And, you know, did all the research, looked at what was out there, looked at what my budget was as a, you know, 22 year old or whatever it was, and uh, ended up buying a KLR 650. And I, you know, kind of the perfect entry level adventure motorcycle. And I had that thing for five years and rode it all over the Southwest. And, and that was really uh, what kind of sparked this whole interest into the adventure motorcycle world. Those bikes are bulletproof, the KLRs. Yeah, they are. You know, it's funny looking back on it now, I, I could never own one again uh, because of how, I guess, my evolution has been as a rider. But for what that bike did for me, um, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for where I was at that time in my life and, and what kind of, uh, opportunities that motorcycle unfolded. So early on was outdoor adventure always part of what you did growing up even before motorcycles? You know, it's, it, it was, and then it wasn't, um, I grew up hiking all the time and, uh, going out as a family camping, um, we, we grew up in Flagstaff, but my grandparents lived in Sedona. So almost every single weekend of my childhood was spent in Sedona. And there were times when my parents would drop us off, us kids off at our, at grandma and grandpa's house. And we'd stay there for a week. And I'm fortunate enough that my grandparents lived in a house that you walk out the backyard and it was just red rocks, just wilderness. So a lot of my childhood was spent just wandering around in the Sedona wilderness and and, you know, hiking around Flagstaff and, and Southern Utah. And then as I got a little bit older into high school, I got into music. I started playing drums and music became my my life and my focus. And I focused on that for many years and still got outside, still went camp and still did that. But, but it wasn't as big of a focus as chasing that dream of, of being a professional musician. Um, and then it really was photography that brought me back to nature i could say mm-hmm. where i finally got my first camera was into photography got a got a camera and started just hiking started going out and taking landscape photography um the first camera i had was a little uh 5 megapixel digital camera and i i remember taking it on a backpacking trip to Havasu Falls and taking all these landscape photography and was like, man, this is, this is cool. I really, I really could get into this. And, and, and it sort of just snowballed from there. Um, my progression sort of out of music and into motorcycles and back into nature. It's amazing when you think about you've lived through a time of this digital 
camera evolution about what that first camera was to what you take out on the field today and take pictures with? Oh, it's changed a lot. And the funny thing is when I was in college, uh, I studied photography and I, uh, I took a black and white film photography class and, you know, learned how to do all the darkroom stuff and printing and developing film. And that was actually the last year that NAU offered a film class that went to digital right after that. But that, I already knew the concepts of photography, but that class in particular really made me understand what it means to be a photographer and what a camera is actually doing. So no matter what technology digital has these days, I said, you know, it's still all about the fundamentals. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, for sure. So it's interesting because I'm seeing your background. I see the bass there right behind you. Um, and you talk about playing drums and just the, you're a creative, right? I mean, you're a marketing yeah. manager helping brands out. Uh, you take on digital photography. And I just, I think that's so interesting um, just from seeing how you have translated, how you've taken your outdoor activities and then added that creativity in there to support, whether it is supporting companies, brands through that, or just the things you're, the passion you're doing of being out on the road with your motorcycle. Um, talk about how you've kind of been able to take film, photography, outdoors, motorcycle, and just put it all together into kind of a, this passion project, whether it's just a passion project or it's truly like your job. I mean, it's kind of both. It's exactly both. And I, I as I look back on my life and reflect on the things I've done. Um, you're still better, pretty young. Hey, you're still pretty young, though. <laughs> hey, I, I, well, I'm ref- reflecting on the uh, the short the short duration. Yeah, I think the viewers won't be able to see this since you're listening, but I got some gray. I got some gray right. in the beginning. But you know, my my goal was always to make my passion my career, and I I think from a pretty young age I felt like I never wanted to just work that nine to five. I never wanted to have this desk job that was unfulfilling, uh, even if it brought financial success, it didn't bring personal success, personal growth. Um, and you, when I got into music, I realized, well, that's, that's not going to get me where I want to go. It's, it's an industry that's so cutthroat and, um, just not who I was anymore. And as I got into photography, initially I started taking photos of bands because I was in the music industry and I knew bands and, I realized that if I can't make it as a rock star playing drums all across the world in stadiums, maybe I can help other bands succeed. And that sort of idea has translated into everything I've done since then. And so I started working with bands doing, uh, you know, live photos, album artwork, photos and design, concerts, music videos, all sorts of things. Um, and at the same time, being in a small town, I had to take what I could get. So I did weddings. I did high school senior pictures. I did landscape photography. And I had some showings in a couple galleries. Um, I kind of did everything you could do with photography. And if if somebody said, hey, do you do graphic design? Uh, yeah, sure, I do that. Or do you do video? Uh, yeah, I, I can do that. I just took everything I could partially because I was trying to make this a job and partially because I'm excited about something new, excited about learning something new, taking on a new creative uh, aspect that could potentially develop into something more. And really where it got in with motorcycles was as I started riding, of course, by that time I was, a, I considered myself a professional photographer. I was doing it essentially full time. And I started to bring a GoPro. Back then, it was like the GoPro Hero 1 or maybe 2. Um, and I also had this little Sony Handycam thing that I rigged up a way to mount it on my crash bars on my motorcycle. And the thing was horrible. It would rattle and shake and the battery would die after like 20 minutes. And I would bring that on my rides. We'd, we'd leave Flagstaff and go up to southern Utah for a few days and go ride and camp. And I, I just filmed these little videos um, they're still circulating somewhere on YouTube um, and realized, man, this is a lot of fun. Like I'm going out and I'm riding motorcycles, which is awesome. Uh, I'm documenting it. 
at the time, I didn't know why I was doing that. It was just something fun to do and a way to get more into music and to do something creative with what I was doing. And it just sort of snowballed from there. And, and I, I was able to get a couple jobs with in the motorcycle industry and at the same time still doing weddings, still doing work for, um, you know, commercial clients and, and things like that. And it just kind of kept growing and growing. And, and soon after, uh, video really took over most of my work. I still do photography, but video production kind of became the, the, the bread and butter of, of what I did at that point. So it was pretty important for you. Like you recognize at a young age, the importance of the, knowing what your passion was and pursuing that. That I think so. I, I think that I mean, I, I'm stubborn. I'll, I'm self-admittedly very stubborn in a sense that I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to be happy with what I'm doing. It's everybody wants that, right? Everybody's trying to achieve that, but it's very difficult to actually do. And I certainly do not have it all figured out. I'd be lying if I said I did. But what I do now is my my greatest passion is adventure motorcycling. And I happen to have a career that revolves around that industry and, and is because of that industry. And so I feel pretty grateful to have worked really hard to focus in that and have it lead me down very jagged pathways in, in different realms and, and ultimately be to where it's, it, it's my career. I want to take a little side pause and talk about the film you made. It was in South Dakota, right? Yes. Because we can talk ADV bikes for a long time and adventure bikes. And South Dakota is never going to come up, I think, as a state. You're going to hear Utah, Arizona, go through northern New Mexico, go to Colorado. But that, the landscape that you captured and the three people you're following around, that was some really beautiful riding out there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so that project, was that was about 10 years ago. And what's really neat, and I'll explain this, it's it's come full circle. That, there's a there's a man by the name of Bill Hearn who lives in, uh, South Dakota, he created a loop called the Dakota Adventure Loop, and it's essentially like a, a, a BDR, like a backcountry discovery route, where in this sense, it's a figure eight loop that goes through the whole state of South Dakota, designed for dual sport motorcycles, adventure bikes. And I met this gentleman, uh, he hosts a fundraiser called the Dakota 600. So, you, you know, you pay some money and you go um, do a three-day rally and do some riding and, and, and the funds go to the Trail Preservation Alliance up there to help keep trails maintained and open. So I said, hey, I want to come up to South Dakota. We had just moved to Colorado at that time. So I'd never been to South Dakota. I heard the Black Hills were cool. I want to go see Mount Rushmore, all that. So I rode, I had a Triumph Tiger 800 XC at that time. I rode it up to South Dakota for this event and uh ended up filming a promotional video for that fundraiser connected with bill. And it was probably about a year later where I came back up and we filmed essentially a documentary on the Dakota adventure loop um, called crossing Dakota. And that was really my first main entry into documentary work and doing, you know, multi-day filming, which turns out is now a big part of my job. With, with working with backcountry discovery routes. Can you still find that film online? Can the listeners go I, I think it's still somewhere. If it's not, I need to I need to get it back out there. It, you do. It, uh, it was it, really good. Yeah. So, it, no, go ahead. Yeah, it it was a it was a really fun project. It was it was I learned a lot of how to uh you know we could we could talk all night about what it's like to carry all your camera gear and camping gear on a motorcycle and make a film and do everything that everyone else has to do. Um, that was, that was a crash course, uh, so to speak in, in documentary filmmaking on a motorcycle for me. Well, I wanted to also talk about, cause you've already mentioned it, you know, if you're in the adventure riding community, then you hear the term BDR, you know what that is. Um, and all these backcountry discovery routes start, you know, different States are putting that together. Can you talk about that organization and kind of the importance that it's doing for motorcycle riders and maybe for trail preservation and things like that and kind of help give some background to the listeners that really don't know anything about BDR? 
Sure, yeah. BDR stands for Backcountry Discovery Routes. It's a 501c3 nonprofit that was uh, developed around probably about 10, 12, 12 years ago, I'd say. And the whole mission with BDR is to create routes across the country designed for adventure motorcyclists in an effort to uh, basically boost local economies. Uh, these routes go through, you know, the road less traveled through, through different states and take these backcountry roads and go through small towns that if these routes didn't go through them, may not even be here to this day. Um, and the efforts that this organization brings to these small towns to, to boost their tourism is astounding. It's really uh, amazing what, what this does. And, and, and the best part is it's very volunteer driven, this whole organization. And it's, we say, uh, by the community for the community. And we give away GPS tracks for these routes for free. You can purchase a, a Butler motorcycle map to go with it. And essentially it's a turnkey way to get on your motorcycle and ride through the backcountry and do it in a safe way with all the resources you need. Now, how many of these have you done? Uh, there are, we just released Oregon, which is the 12th, and I have ridden 10 of them. That's impressive. Some of them I've done four or five times. And uh, yeah, the only ones I haven't done are uh, Nevada and Washington. So those are on the list. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a really cool organization to start providing. Because, you know, like for me, I, I, I did an adventure bike because I rented one in Colorado. And I wasn't about to even come up with my trail plan or anything like that. I'd, I didn't have the time, nor did I know the area. So like when I called Colorado Motorcycle Adventures and then you specifically, I was like, hey, I need a route. I need, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to be here on this day. So you guys put it together, but that BDR is so it's, it's taken that and just formalized it for anybody to say, how much do you want to ride today? This is kind of where you're going to end up. And I find too, the, you know, I think a lot of communities, it's all about being a community to the extent that the motorcycle community, those people are going to support each other and they're going to support folks like BDR. And then, like you said, going into those towns, they're going to want to support that local restaurant or that local mom and pop hotel to stay overnight. Cause us guys are a little older, might want to sleep in the bed, not on the campground, yeah. you know, but I think uh, that's great that that community is really rallying around. And I feel like just the adventure bike community in general just keeps growing. It does. It's, it's the, it's the fastest growing segment in motorcycling. And, and I think there's, you know, COVID is, is an example of what, as you know, has, has done a lot for the outdoor industry because people realized, hey, I don't want to be stuck inside or, hey, I've got free time or whatever the case is. I want to be outdoors. I want to socially distance, which is not a new concept. I've been socially distancing as much as I can for years. Uh, but now it's, it's, it's exploded. And I think it's also through avenues like BDR people see what kind of uh, magic is out there in this country that you maybe can only see on two wheels. And, uh, you know, being a part of that organization is I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. And, you know, my, my path getting there really is an example of, of, well, just my path of being a creative and trying to chase my, my passions, you know, when, when, when I first started working with Colorado Motorcycle Adventures, I reached out to the owner, Scott, right after he had started the company, he had five bikes in his garage. I mean, it was, he had just gotten off the ground. I said, Hey, just moved to Colorado. I do photography. I ride adventure bikes. Let me know if you want to work together. And he um, hired me to change oil on bikes and, and start, you know, taking some photo product photos and uh, go along on some rides and, and, you know, shoot some content for it. And, uh, when you came, well, and then ultimately I got into, uh, operations manager, started managing the company with him and then opened up our Arizona branch. But when you came, that's an example of where I launched this concept of custom route design exactly for that reason. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got somebody coming in from, you know, Texas, who's never been to Colorado, doesn't know where to ride, wants a three day trip 
beginner friendly or intermediate, whatever the case is, and we'll custom design a route based around that using the knowledge that I had of the area and my familiarity with uh, route design. So fast forward, you know, the, being in that company and in that industry kind of got my foot in the door with BDR. And now since, since then, I've worked on five documentary films with Backcountry Discovery Routes as cinematographer, and I'm now routes manager with BDR. So I oversee the, some of the new route developments, changes to existing routes, track updates, all that kind of thing. So I've, uh, in addition to working on the film, so I've basically taken those passions of mine and, in uh, in you know, developed it into a way to work with sort of the forefront of that industry. So I have, a, I have something just popped in my head when I started thinking about route management and these routes are going across states completely and you're going through a lot of different jurisdictions from a government standpoint, um, possibly private land. I'm not sure. How does that work for BDR? Like what's their involvement in local governments? Maybe they're using existing trail systems and it's just a matter of mapping that together. I just don't know. I'd be curious from an audience standpoint, like, what does BDR have to do to kind of put all that together? Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's a process. You know, when we develop a new route, it often takes three, four, five years before we finalize it and go film it and, and then release it to the public. And that time is spent with local, usually volunteers um, that are going out and mapping it. Basically say, okay, we want a route in Wyoming or Oregon. Oregon's the most recent one to be released. So we have several volunteers that just say, okay, we need to get from the south border to the northern border. Mm-hmm. And, and it needs to be all as much backcountry roads as possible. And from kind of the standpoint of how we do that, it's our, our protocol is it has to be all public roads. So it can't be any private areas, any okay. OHV areas, Jeep track, um, not, not Jeep tracks, like single track, motorcycle only areas because it needs to be open for street legal licensed adventure bikes. So as we map it out, it's it's a lot of cross-referencing. It's a lot of studying maps, motor vehicle use maps. It's a lot of phone calls and emails with BLM and the Forest Service to make sure we're going through the right places. And often we talk to uh, local land managers, we talk to local business owners, we talk to residents um, to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to put these routes through a safe area and a legal area. That's um, that's a lot of work to get those trails together and get them released. It is. It is. It's a lot of work. And 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 then there's follow-up work, which is a, a big part of my job. You know, every once in a while, as you know, jurisdictions change, rules change, land ownership changes. And we're constantly monitoring that and making sure these routes get adjusted if they need to. So, for example, if a route uh, we find out, you know, goes too near a wilderness boundary or there's a seasonal closure for some elk migration or um, there's a closure for potential fire danger or maybe it goes next to uh, somebody's residence that, um, you know, we didn't realize was it maybe shouldn't have been going there. We make adjustments. We adjust the tracks. We do route updates online. We put those out to the community so that they're aware of these things. So we're trying to constantly keep these routes evolving to where they're as current and relevant as they can be. Now I have to ask, I mean, Texas is a big state. Texas is a big state, but it's on the list. It's, it's there's so much, I mean, all the, it's, there's so much private ownership of land here that it's, you know, obviously you have a lot of gravel roads, but um, it, it's um, would be curious as to how you could do that. Yeah, it's it's possible, and it's amazing what you what you can find. And and as an organization, we're we're grateful for those volunteers because you know there's guys in Texas that have ridden every single one of those dirt roads. Often it's it's those kind of folks that are the ones that help build these routes because they understand the importance of sharing that with this community and and especially what it does to the the economy in these small towns it's not so much about hey here's a great route to go shred your motorcycle on it's about uh you know keeping these small towns alive and and helping these little mom and pa 
businesses, um, you know, keep putting food on the table. Yeah, I have some property west of where I am, and it's kind of northwest of another small town. And it's just interesting going there and walking into the hardware store on the square of the of a small town like that compared to going to a big box. I mean, it's just yeah. night and day. I went in there to buy a hinge the other day, one hinge, and I'm like, where's the hinge? And this guy, he's probably working there forever. He's like, okay, go around here, check it out. Okay, there's a box over there. You got it. You're good yeah. to go. You know, and just they have everything you need, just, you know, a little different, but it's nice knowing that, you know, that's where your dollars are going. Well, and, you know, when when I was younger and would travel through some of these small towns where you go through and it looks like the wheels are falling off, um, that's where you really find America. That's where you find those kind of people that are um, still going. They're, they're keeping that dream alive. And I'll share a story with you. When uh, two years ago, we filmed the Wyoming backcountry discovery route and when we did the filming expedition it that whole trip was about nine days and I, you know I, I could probably count on two fingers how many other motorcycles adventure bikes we saw on that filming trip um because we were going places that nobody knew existed or nobody was riding fast forward to after we released the route we do the film tour we put the tracks online for free the maps published i went back and wrote it with the group uh, the following year, and we saw, I mean, you know, hundreds of adventure bikes out on the trail because of what we were doing. And I stopped in all those little towns I stopped in, I would stop and talk to the restaurant owner or the hotel owner and say, Hey, I'm Michael. I work with BDR. Um, you know, what do you think about this route that's coming through? Has it, what have you seen from it? And every single person is grateful and glowing with gratitude for what we're doing for how it's helped their economy. The, the only negative feedback I got was from a woman that said, I'm so mad at you because I wish you told us this was going to be so popular because I could have, I could have hired more staff. I could have hired more people to come work. We were overwhelmed. Uh, we couldn't keep up with the demand and that's, that's what we want to hear. And these are, these are towns that, Prior to these routes being released, uh, you know, tumbleweeds are blowing through the area and there nobody's stopping because there's no reason to stop. And when we gave people a reason. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked a lot about motorcycles today. That's our interest. But just getting out, camping and then taking a drive. I mean, Texas, as you know, it's big. You can drive forever. There's so many cool small towns to visit for just the day. Like you just stop. Hey, I'm going to go eat at this restaurant. I've never been to this small town. And even those type of trips are really supported for those small towns for just people passing through. And it doesn't have to be on two wheels. It can be on four wheels and you can do the same for a lot of those places. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, my favorite thing to do if I'm going somewhere I haven't been, anytime I'm on Google Maps, I make sure that I click the avoid highways button and do as, as much as I possibly can stay off the interstate. And that's where you really see these small towns. That's where you see these people um, that actually need you, need your dollars and need your attention coming through. And it's it, that's where you find some of the best parts of the country. So what what's keeping you the busiest these days? Well, I what is keeping me busy? I'm working a lot with BDR, managing the routes. And then, of course, we've got a handful of new routes that we're developing this year. So... That entails a lot of, uh, you know, route planning strategy and and scouting. So luckily I get to be the guy that goes out and scouts a lot of these rides, uh, these routes and gets to ride them and proof them and make sure that these, this is fits the format that we're trying to do. Uh, and then I basically run a freelance marketing management company. I'll say my company, it's just me. Um, and I provide all sorts of different services to a couple of small businesses from photography, video production, social media management. Uh, I do a little bit of uh, writing. I do some web design um, and just overall development strategy and brand management. So um, it that that keeps me busy and uh, I, I love it. I growing up in a smaller town with, a, you know, kind of a flourishing entrepreneurial scene. I get a lot of satisfaction with helping small businesses realize their potential. Right. And some of that stems from 
working with bands, it's a good example because you could have a band that sounds a certain way. And then there's the challenge of how do you put a visual side to that sound? How can you create these sort of marketing assets to help that band succeed when all they have is audio? And, and that was kind of a big challenge that I apply to everything I do um, in terms of marketing is, is creating these assets, whether they're visual or otherwise, to help smaller businesses uh, succeed. You know, what I keep hearing the conversation to go back to is being able to find your passion and really pursue that. And, you know, forever, not everyone gets to do that in their nine to five job, but I think it's important to have that outlet though for your passion. So for some people, it is a weekend warrior riding their motorcycle and they don't ride it during the week, but it's important to just get out, um, get outside, get in nature, get in the sun. For me, I, I love motorcycles, but I don't ride it near as much as I would like. But I still, when I get on it, it's just so much enjoyment of getting out. Um, I really enjoy that. I was interested, though, because when I met you, you were riding the Triumph, which I always thought was a super cool bike. Um, but you've moved to a new bike that you seem to really enjoy. Yeah. So after that Triumph, I got a I got an Africa Twin. Uh, oh, okay. So, see, I didn't know that. And I've ridden that bike. I really like that bike. I love that machine. It was it was awesome. I actually in between that I had a Yamaha WR250R for a while. I went kind of a small dual sport adventure bike. Um, that Africa Twin was kind of the natural evolution for me, and I loved that machine. Uh, but right around the time when I got it, or actually before I got it, Yamaha started releasing spy images and teasers of the. Tenere 700. And I saw the first picture of that bike and I said, that's my next bike. It's a Yamaha. It's a little smaller. It has that cool rally look. It's going to be lighter. It's going to be, you know, more off-road oriented. I knew that I wanted one. Uh, of course, with everything that happened in the world um, around that time, it, it was delayed and it took forever to come out. And, and finally it did. And I was able to get my hands on one. So that's what I have now. And it's it's by far the the perfect bike for me, I'll say. What what makes it the perfect bike for you? Is it is it the size combined with I mean, you still carry a lot of stuff, so you can't have too small a bike. Yeah. You know, there there are no there are really no bad bikes out there. All the manufacturers make a really good bike and right. I'd be happy on any of them. But as I've grown as a rider and as a cinematographer while riding there like you said there's certain requirements i have to be able to carry my camping gear and everything else you would on a normal ride and i have to be able to carry camera gear and what i've learned is one of my biggest things is self-sufficiency i'm i'm big on that in in every aspect i want to be able to take care of myself whether that's on a bike or at home or, you know, hiking, whatever it is, having the tools and the knowledge to be self-sufficient. And part of where that plays into motorcycles is having a bike that is not too big for you to handle. And it bottom line for me is reliability. And I know that Yamaha is a really good brand, super reliable, um, not to dog in any other brands, but there's certain there's certain colors of bikes out there that you wouldn't you wouldn't see me on, and a lot of that stems from what I've seen in the rental industry of, of other bikes that have maybe had some problems. And for me, I don't care about having the highest performing, fastest machine out there. If it leaves me stranded in the woods, none of that matters. So simplicity, reliability um, is for me is number one, and that's where that bike, um, you know, paired with the size that it is. Uh, you know, the, the specs on how well it does off-road and um, really just how simple and reliable it is, is uh, it's just the perfect for for where I am today. They must be hard to get because I never see it at my local motorcycle shop that carries Yamaha, ever. They are. They're still hard to get. You know, I I got really lucky. I uh, In Denver, there's a company called Woody's Wheelworks, and they make, Woody has been around since the 70s making awesome race wheels, custom wheels for motorcycles. 
And we did some business with him uh, when I ran the shop there. And uh, I went into Woody's to drop off some wheels for another bike. And they had a Tenere sitting on the lift and they were doing some prototyping, building some parts for it. I said, man, those are so cool. I really want to get one, but I can't find one anywhere. Like the dealers have waiting lists, you know, a mile long and I'm not going to, they're telling me I'm not going to get one for another year. And uh, Chris, the, the son's owner says, well, man, we bought four of them and I've got one in the back. I was just about to put on Craigslist and it's yours if you want it. I said, oh, you're gotta be kidding me. And, uh, and I got a, I said, okay, I'll take it, you know, just let me know. And I got a call from Woody, not 20 minutes later saying, Hey man, I don't have room for your bike. Come get it. I said, well, Woody, I can't pay it yet. I don't care. Just come get your bike, get it out of here. So I went back over and picked up that bike that same day. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm lucky to have it. Been doing a lot of riding with it since. That's a pretty awesome story. I, I always like to remind folks the importance of building relationships and maintaining relationships just because you just never know what you might run into or what situation you might come up or who you might know that, you know, could help you out or help someone else out. And that's a perfect example of just knowing the right person and then walking and being prepared for the right situation. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you said that. I mean, that's relationships are everything uh, for what I do for how my career has evolved. I believe that it's a hundred percent because of relationships. Um, I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best cinematographer. I'm not the best at anything I do. Um, but what I am is I'm, I'm loyal and I'm, I'm friendly and, and friendships and community mean a lot to me. And so when I was working with Scott and I started to get exposed to BDR and what they were doing, um, it was because of just keeping relationships open that it ultimately developed into them saying, Hey, we want you to come on and uh, film one of the BDR documentaries with us. And that was, you know, eight, eight, 10 years after I started writing and those days when I was strapping a camera to my crash bars that I got hired to film the first documentary with BDR. It's, it's a, it was sort of a dream of mine. And now I've done five, actually six films with them and working to do another two this year. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. I'm glad that you're getting to put to use these skills, especially the creative side. I mean, people who are creative and can actually do that as their outlet, you know, it's just a better place for you to be. Um, I can totally see you being out on the motorcycle and really getting to do all those things and have that freedom. I think that's important for you just to be healthy, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's mental health. It's physical health. I mean, I would, you know... It, there are decisions in my life that I think back and say, man, I, I really should have stayed in school. I should have studied accounting. I should have done this or that. You know, I would have been so successful. I would have had a bigger house. I would have had more cars. I could have had five motorcycles. Um, but I will say that I don't have any regrets for the decisions I've made because the one thing I have done is I've stayed true to myself and I've stayed true to my passion and I've put those things before financial success. I've, I've put everyday enjoyment, uh, you know, before chasing that, that dream of one day retiring and then finally being able to do something. And I right. think, I think that's the important thing for anyone to realize, whether you're creative or not, is that, you, you know, time is, time is limited and it's, when you spend so much time working just so you can have that house, so you can have those toys, uh, you lose the ability to to find yourself and to take that time to get outside in nature and explore the things you've always wanted to do. You know, so so many of us spend time on on YouTube watching these awesome films of people doing overlanding four by fours or riding adventure motorcycles or camping somewhere, and you know. For anyone listening here, we're all guilty of saying, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish right. I was. Uh, I never wanted to be that guy that said, oh, I wish I could do that one day. Like, I want to figure out how to do it. And if I don't do it at the full level, if I never travel around the entire world on a motorcycle, that's totally fine. Uh, I don't need that. But what I do need is is the idea of chasing that idea and never uh, giving up on the, on, on the thought of... Um, just making that enjoyment 
uh, especially in nature, uh, a priority. I totally agree. Um, finding what you love, pursuing that, super important. It's very different from everyone. You know, we all have our different likes. It is important. I will say motorcycles are fun. And if you've never ridden them before, boy, you're missing out. I don't know if this was the best decision I made when I rented a bike from y'all. I've ridden motorcycles, a lot of dirt bikes, but I've never ridden a bike that big when I took that. But when I got on that Africa Twin, I mean, two hours into it, though, I was like, this is just awesome. Yeah. And once once I got off road with that bike, I was like, oh, this is great. I didn't lay it over, so I think it's did good. Yeah, that's good. You got your deposit refunded. That's always yeah. good. I was, I was not going to mess that up. But that's one of those things, though, where I, you know, that was just like a risk. Like, okay, yeah, I can do a motorcycle trip. Let me just go figure this out. I mean, I, obviously, I had a motorcycle license and know how to ride, but riding an adventure bike in Colorado backroads is a little different than riding on streets around Katy, Texas. So, well, yeah, it is, and you know, and motorcycles aren't for everyone. I right? that is true. I don't know how long I'll ride a motorcycle. Maybe it'll be another year. Maybe it'll be until my dying day. Uh, but the idea of having some kind of uh, outlet to get into nature is what it's all about, whether that's motorcycles or hiking or four wheeling. Um, I've got a good friend who lives in San Diego. We call him grandpa because he's a grandpa. And I met him. I lived in San Diego for a short while and met, met a couple guys out there. And we, we went out, we all had KLR six fifties at the time and went out riding. Well, he made a decision years ago that when he turned 65, he was going to quit riding regardless of how he felt. He, he said, I'm going to just put an end to it count my blessings and move on to something else. And of course, as friends, we were sad that he was giving that up. But what it did was it opened up the opportunity for us to do something else together. So we said, you know, we've got this friendship that was founded in, in adventure riding, that was founded in the California desert, camping together and exploring remote parts of the, the world. And this last year's after he had quit riding, we uh, a couple friends of ours we went and did a three day river rafting trip on the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon as a way to still get that camaraderie to still be together in nature doing something adventurous that was a little bit out of our comfort zone, but it had nothing to do with motorcycles and it was it was great. I love hearing that being in a community like that is so important and having a group of friends and then when you get together with the group doesn't a lot of times it doesn't matter what you're doing just being together is what's so fun yeah. but to oh, add yeah. a whitewater adventure in there is amazing i got to take my oldest daughter um she was 17 at the time it was just last summer and her and i did about five days in anchorage and around anchorage oh, wow. and she had always wanted to go and it was just a quick father-daughter trip we'd never been to alaska um but it was just so fun to go see that place. Right. And yeah. to be able to, we actually did a whitewater rafting trip, which, which was the coldest water I've ever been on in my life. Like hands down, I've never felt anything like that water in Alaska, the glacial water just coming down. It was insanely cold, but just being out together. That was, that was the whole point is just being together. Yeah. Well, and those are the stories that you tell and the stories you remember are right. sometimes it's the, the moments that were the most challenging that become the greatest memories. And the the point of it all is to just try, is to just get out there and do it. And, you know, as much as the Internet and social media is in some ways the downfall of civilization as we know it, it's also an incredible tool to uh, to learn, to, to gain knowledge and to uh, get rid of some of those fears. So for those that are thinking, man, I could never go, you know, ride motorcycles for five days in the backcountry. I could never go do a, you know, rafting trip in the Grand Canyon. Well, you can, you can do it. And there's ways to learn how to do it and do it safely. And um, there's ways to find the right community in which to do it with and, and get out there and do it because your soul will thank you for it. Absolutely. They will. Absolutely. Michael, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, since you do have your freelance side, what is the best way that they get in touch with you? Yeah. I, you know, I actually, I don't have my website up anymore because I have enough business that I took it down. Um, 
I've got an Instagram account, which is just my name at Michael Balecki. And then you can also email through uh, BDR, especially if you have questions about BDR and adventure right. motorcycles in general. Um, the, the route info at ridebdr.com email address goes straight to me and uh, always happy to help riders get connected with, you know, the right people and, and get out there and, and do something safe. Well, I definitely want to uh, someday have a Texas route, whatever that is, um, yep. just because I'm in Texas. I mean, no other reason, but as a proud Texan to have a BDR route on some good flat land. But we have some hills out there, too. If you get out towards the New Mexico border, you can find some hills and ride around in, in the desert. But I really want to thank you today. It's been a pleasure catching back up. It's actually been a few years since we've seen each other face to face. Um, but I've always kept track of you, one through Instagram. Um, and then when I was, you know, just putting together podcast guests for this year, I was like, I got to reach out to this guy. I was like, I know he's got a great story that other people want to hear just about, you know, pursuing your passion, figuring out what you want to do in life and then making that your life's goal. And so I, I just want to thank you for jumping on today. It's been a really great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been just so fun to catch up and, and, you know, share a little bit about myself and uh you know my my goal in a lot of what i do is is really to just inspire others and not to be like me but but to be like themselves and to find themselves and to get out there and do the things that uh really bring them the most joy and uh i, th I think your efforts and what you're trying to do is is a uh, perfect venue for that so i appreciate what you're doing all right well thank you very much we'll get this uh wrapped up and get this out the door and out on the podcast world so everybody can hear this great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. Make sure you check out ridebdr.com. And if you want to contact Michael, just email info at ridebdr.com. Special thanks to Four Wheel Pop-Up Campers, purveyors of vehicle-based adventure, for their generous support of the Sign Out Podcast. Learn more about four-wheel pop-up campers and their variety of base camp adventure products by visiting 4wh.com. That's F-O-U-R-W-H.com. Make sure you check out our website at signoutco.com. We have a bunch of original design t-shirts and hats and stickers. They're very cool. Check them out. And if you have about 30 seconds, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. It really helps us out. The music in this episode was made by me, Caleb J. Murphy. And if you want to hear more of my music, check out calebjmurphy.com. Again, thank you for listening to the Sign Out Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. The Sign Out Podcast is proudly brought to you by Outdoor by Four Magazine, a preeminent publication for responsible vehicle-based adventure travel, including overlanding. Outdoor by Four shares family-friendly content that resonates with a broad audience of adventurers, whether in a 4x4 vehicle, on two wheels, in a canoe or kayak, or on foot. Outdoor by Four's focus is on visual storytelling that appeals to all types of outdoor enthusiasts while providing expert advice as well as dynamic photography and stories that inspire. You can pick up a copy of Outdoor by Four magazine by visiting your local bookstore or by going to outdoorx4.com. That's outdoorx, the number four, dot com.